Hey, this is Scott Jackson, and you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. All right, Monarch Nation, it's Mike for the Monarchist. We are back to recap Wake Forest and preview Texas A&M Commerce. I'm here with Gary and Aaron. Welcome back to the show, fellas. Thanks, Mike. Good to be back. Hello, guys. Glad to, to be on here so we can finally get this awful game past us. <laughs> All right, so before we get to the game, let's talk about tailgate and game atmosphere. Obviously, uh, tailgate was good as it always is. Great people stopped by. Food was amazing. Gary cooked some awesome breakfast burritos on the lot. Good vibes all around. Yeah, I think I went through 45 breakfast burritos, which is pretty awesome. Shout out to the wifey for being the sous chef there, for sure, rolling those things up. Yeah, nice visitors, good time. Uh, a little sparse in the blue lot on Saturday, but good things are happening in the back there where the monarchists were at. Yeah, that food was great. We had a wonderful French toast bake brought in, some mimosas, some manmosas. Which was new for me. I tried one of those. That was that was pretty cool. I'm a believer in that right now. And it's nice to continue to see new folks roll through the tailgate and get to meet new people, new monarchs, and bring them into the family. Yeah, so that's a good point. And we're going to extend that invite again. If you have nowhere to tailgate or you're coming for your first game and you just don't know the lay of the land, come to the Blue Lot. It's the lot right next to the WHRO building, right next to Shell, and look for the tennis courts and walk towards them, and you'll find us. All right, so game attendance. To put it nicely, the crowd was sparse on an absolutely beautiful day. It was hot in the stands, and I know there was a lot of fans standing in the shade and probably in the beer garden, but not a great look for ESPN2. Yeah, I know Gary and I were sitting next to each other, and it was a topic of discussion at multiple points during the game. I think the first time we talked about it was when the leap frogs were jumping, and the stands were were not nearly as full as we hoped they'd be. From our perspective, you know, we can look out and see some of the tailgate lots, and I'm not going to speak for anybody, but I get disgusted when I see people in the tailgate lots when the football game has already begun, or the beginning of that, you know. I think we all, you know, we all love to tailgate. We all like to have a good time. But you know, the student athletes that are out there trying to put a show on for us deserve for us to be in the stands for that. And we have to do better as a fan base of getting in the stadium. And that's for the people who actually showed up. There are a lot of folks who did not show up. We'll probably talk about that more. Maybe we won't, but we have to do better. Yeah, and it wasn't like you know five minutes after kickoff there were still people in the tailgate lots. Like we're talking start of the second quarter. Like I can look out to the silver lot and I think there are more people in the silver lot than the entire east side of the, the stadium over there. And sun was shining on it. it. It's hot, whatever, but still got to, got to do a little, a little bit better than that. I know it was, I think it was about 18,000 was the announced attendance, which is basically tickets distributed, right. To different groups, companies, people, season ticket holders. I mean, I, in all honesty, like there might've been 12 in the stands. Like that's, that's being very, very generous. Student turnout wasn't great, but the students that were there were loud. They were making a lot of noise. A lot of them stayed for the entire game right behind the the wake bench and then in the end zone. But man, it was for an ACC opponent and coming off of a win, that was a disappointing crowd to see. And I, I will say for the crowd that showed up, the crowd that showed up was great. So if you were there on Saturday with everybody else, you made noise at the right times, and we were good. We just got to figure out how to get those other 8,000 bodies into the stadium. Yeah, I know it's still, what, this is year 14, right? We need people to get on with the tradition of showing up, good or bad. Uh, Because it does have an impact. You make that stadium louder, it's harder for them to communicate. Wake Forest had zero problem communicating on Saturday, and that's a problem because when Ballard is loud, it is super loud even though it's only 22,000 fans. And if we can bring that environment to the the team, um, we're going to see more positive developments on the field. 
the other part of that is we have recruits coming in for basketball, for football, for all these different sports, and they're being entertained at these games. And what do you think they're thinking when they look up at the stands and see a lot of seats? Can't be great. No, and there were a lot of recruits there on Saturday from multiple sports. That was kind of the shining star of the the recruiting visit. And uh, yeah, not not much. I know the the west side of the stands was was pretty packed, especially when it got into the shade. But tough to look across there to the to the other side and see mostly aluminum staring back at you. Yeah, I will add. I got in the stands early because I was getting my media pass for my first press conference, and I was worried. I didn't know how long it would take, and then I want to kind of get the lay of the land. But I got to my seat early enough to watch the band. They did an awesome rendition of the national anthem. And then following that up with the Leapfrogs was pretty awesome. Those two dudes, I don't know how many feet that was, but them being connected until like the last moment, that was amazing. So credit to the Leapfrogs. Thank you for doing what you did and giving us all a show pregame. Let's get to this game. Old Dominion loses 27-24. I guess we have to start with that amazing first half. Because if you had told me this time last week that we would be up 17-zip at half, or we were down by three with the ball and a chance to win, I would have taken it 100 times out of 100. But it feels a little bit different sitting here now after knowing how close we were and how much we should have won this game in hindsight. So Gary, lead us off. What do you got? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about the good stuff in the first half. Then we will get to the stuff that made me absolutely sick in the second half. First half. I mean, I I thought coming into this game, our biggest problem is going to be stopping Wake Forest defensively. I have to give a shout out to the defense, especially in the first half for just, getting after it. I mean, they had a different intensity. They were able to to get after the quarterback. Uh, coverage was holding up very well, even when the pressure didn't get home. Uh, I mean, we had Wake on their heels offensively pretty much the whole first half. You know, we missed some opportunities to put up some additional points. We had that kind of tip ball interception on the pass that was thrown behind the wide receiver that probably would have been a touchdown drive. So we're, we're going into half up 17 to nothing. And I'm thinking, the offense hasn't really played that well, and we're still up 17 to nothing. And I'm getting pretty excited about that fact because I'm thinking, all right, halftime adjustments, we're going to come out, and offense is just going to, going to put on the show at that point. Um, but, man, just just want to give a, a big shout-out to the defense and how they led with some intensity there in the first half, caused turnovers, got sacks, got pressure, really frustrated Wake a lot in that first half. And it, it was nice to see those guys fired up and getting to celebrate some some good things. That was an amazing first half. The first quarter was a little, you know, a little slow, a little back and forth, not, not a ton of action. But then the second quarter came, and we were all believers going into the half. I think we were, we were pretty hype, and there are so many good things that happened in the half. We just, I think, felt really good that the team would come out in the third quarter, and we would see more of, of that. And. Yeah, we finally got some bounces to go our way for the first time, I think, this season. The the fumble return for a touchdown, there were like four or five different guys that were trying to get their hands on that ball, and somehow it got batted over to the best possible person on the field to get it in Lamarian James. He picked that ball up. There was no one that was going to catch him. He was gone. He he dusted anyone on the offense that was trying to come after him. So it was like, all right, we're we're getting some bounces. We're getting like some some lucky looks on top of you know making good plays and getting some luck out of it. And it was just like, oh man, all right, things are are going our way. Little little did we know what was coming around the corner for us. So uh, while we're talking about positives, last week. Javon Harvey did not really play much, and he comes back and lights the world on fire in this game. Just fantastic. Three catches, 166 yards, one touchdown, 61 yards after the catch. Just phenomenal effort from Javon. And it seemed like once he got – there was a play in the red zone on our end where he got crunched between two defenders. I think that was pretty much the last we saw of him that game. I'm not sure if he played any more after that. He had like a stomach injury of some sort, but 
really phenomenal stuff from Javon, especially considering he didn't even play last week. It was nice to see him rally and come back out there and make some big plays. He was getting great separation off the line and was just able to go track down balls that were in the air. And that's, that's what we need from Javon Harvey. And it was just good to see him bounce back and play well in this game. I was fortunate that he, he got hurt. I think he got interfered with on that. And I think that's what one led to the incompletion and two also led to him getting injured. He got kind of knocked off balance a little bit while the ball was in the air and ended up not being able to protect himself. So, you know, really a, a tip of the cap to the ACC officials for that one. And I also want to give a shout out to him, uh, how physically he played. I mean, that one play kind of moving from left to right on your radio dial, going towards towards the beer garden, actually towards the door of where the streaker ran out that one time years ago, how the defender was trying to get to him, take him down, and he just stiff-armed him and threw him off to get him for the touchdown. I mean, he was he was a man on a mission in that first half. Uh, it was really, really nice to see. And one more note on Lamarion, because he obviously has two touchdowns in this game. He becomes just the seventh player all-time to have a two touchdowns return for a touchdown. Is that right? I think a fumble and an interception. All right. Only the seventh all-time. I mean. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just shows how how killer he is with the ball in his hands. You can get him just a little bit of space. He's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, I was just going to add that he was uh, also fantastic again in the return game until clearly late in the game when he was gassed. Yeah, and that fumble recovery for a touchdown for 80 yards was the longest defensive touchdown in ODU football history. So set set a record on that one as well, which is is pretty awesome to see. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's a weapon. Get the ball in his hands. I, I think I've been calling for this for like two years. Like there's got to be one offensive package where we can put Lamarian James out there, right? Like just one. Get him a little quick pass, get the ball in his hand somehow, and just see what he does. Jet sweep. Let's do it. It seems like the simplest yeah. thing to do. He put him and Dutton on opposite sides of the fields and tell me if there's any defense in the country that can cover both of them. Well, speaking of Dutton, it, it's clear they couldn't defend him. Obvious pass interference on that last drive. But I'm jumping ahead here to that awful second half. So are we ready to go to that awful second half, or are there more uh, – Positives we want to drill from this first half. I mean, I, we mentioned the defense. I, I think it's worth mentioning mentioning them a little bit more. This is the first time this season that we've gotten pressure on the quarterback, and forced you know forced quarterbacks to make decisions and forced turnovers. Yeah, I want to start with EJ Green. He was phenomenal in this game. I think he had a sack. He had a forced fumble. He had nine or he had how many tackles did he have? And not nine total tackles and an interception. Yeah, he was everywhere. He was phenomenal. And he, he even had to leave the game for cramps at some point, like many of our defenders had to on Saturday. But he came back and still played hard-nosed football. And it was – no one expected that type of performance from our defense after the first two weeks. And, man, did we punch them in the mouth. That was just fun to watch. And completely shocking. I mean, at halftime, I ran into a buddy, and we were just in awe of what happened. We we both knew that there was a lot of football left, and there was no guarantees. But what they did for us in that first half was just – it changes your whole vision on what this team can be the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, EJ had three tackles, tackles for a loss for 24 total yards, 17 of those coming on one sack, forced to fumble and had an interception. That's a pretty good day at the office. Wayne Matthews and uh, Denzel Lowry split a sack. Uh, Jason Henderson had two tackles for a loss with his 13. And Jason got hurt early in that game. I don't know exactly what happened. I will speculate on injuries, but he was in an immense amount of pain. But he was out for like a couple plays and Came back in, and it was was good to go. Terry Jones was also injured. You could see him wearing a cast on one of his hands, but he actually had two pass breakups in the secondary. I mean, really, a, a lot of guys were rotating in. Devin Brandt Epps, I thought, played exceptionally well down on the defensive line, kind of wreaking some havoc. So many guys on that 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 defensive line and in that, that front six or seven or whatever in the world we were running out there looked pretty good. Ryan Ramey was a true freshman safety slash corner. He subbed in a couple times in passing downs, and he, in my opinion, has been the most locked down 
person in the secondary we have seen so far this season on the field. So hoping to see him get some more run and some rotations, kind of continuing the trend this year of younger guys on the roster, getting an opportunity to get on the field and making the most of South Romello Murphy, seen with Kelby Williams, seen with a lot of these younger guys. And I think you need to probably be on notice if, if you're not doing your job. Uh, and just because you've been there for a while, you're not going to necessarily keep your job because of tenure. Rashad Reeson continues to surprise in the secondary. I thought he performed fairly well this weekend. And Nolan Johnson, a name that I think Gary was talking about preseason, uh, came in in the fourth quarter and was a part of that drive that gave us that punt that uh, gave us a chance to come back and win the game. So you're right. There's a lot of young guys coming in and new guys coming in and playing a role. I think Jalen Satchel had a sack. That's big man sack. We love to see it. But Aaron, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to ask a question to you guys. All right. So in the first half, we saw some good pressure from our squad the first time this season. We've seen that. So what do we do different this week to cause that? Because it made all the difference in the world. And how do we do that going forward? Well, I think it's two factors. So in the first two weeks, we played quarterbacks who were designing to get rid of the ball as fast as possible in the passing game. Mitch Griffiths was not doing that on Saturday, at least not in the first half. Secondly, we were bringing some mixed pressure. We were bringing linebackers. We were bringing linemen. We were mixing it up. They weren't sure where it was coming from. And we were attacking different sides of the line. So we might stack it on the right side or the left side, but if you're expecting one guy to come at you and you got two, you're not going to win those, win those. And we were winning that battle quite a bit early on. Bringing pressure to different gaps at random times was really helpful too. And honestly, I just think the defensive line did a better job of moving offensive linemen out of the way. Like there, there's, the stats may not be there for a lot of the guys on the defensive line, but they were able to spread out some of the offensive linemen I saw and linebackers and safeties are, are shooting right up. But one of the big examples of that was the Lamarian James's interception return for a touchdown in the third quarter. They were basically able to clear a hole for Sean Asbury to absolutely demolish Mitch Griffiths in the, in the backfield. And the ball just floated up in the air and boom, who did it fall to the, the best return man in the Sun Belt who took it all the way to the house. So, you know, kudos to the defensive line for really just improving over the week, getting tougher and, and doing a lot of good things there and the linebackers and the safeties for stepping up and, and getting those hits. But we got to continue to find a way to do that and get the defense off the field so that way they're not gassed in the second half and then continue that, that process. And I don't know, we had 10 pass breakups on Saturday. Do you remember the last time our defense had 10 pass breakups in the same game? I think this was the first game that our defense has touched the football when it was in the air. <laughs> I mean, in years. It's been a while since we've made that many plays on the ball in the air. There were several were batted down at the line of scrimmage, too. I know yeah. Maury Morrison had a big one. I mean, that's, that's big. Make it difficult as possible for that quarterback to get the ball down the field. Try to take away the middle. Devin Branapps had two in the game. Amori had one. The rest were in the secondary. Devin Branapps has had two good games in a row. I thought he played really well last week against Louisiana and just getting more reps out there. Like he was, he started causing problems last year on the defensive line, and he's he's continuing that now. And I'm really happy to see it. All right. Offensively, before we go to the bad, I know we're going to talk about the second half and how bad it was, but Devin Roche had a pretty damn good game and he was killer off the edge in this game so he had 11 carries for 86 yards if we're talking on the edge he had three carries that were not considered middle runs one was for 37 yards one was for 17 and one was for four so three carries for 58 yards i mean that kid's a weapon on the outside i'll take more of that he was really the only running back that had much success at all. I mean, I know, I think Obisani was out. We didn't see him. I didn't see him even in uniform on the sideline. I don't know what in the world is going on with Kadarius Callaway, but I would be great if we could figure out whatever it is and get it fixed so that we can get that weapon back on the field. But yeah, uh, we, we saw some good plays from him at Virginia Tech. Saw some great plays from, from him on Saturday, but just, just not enough in the run game, in my opinion. Yeah. So speaking of that, let's talk about the second half. Wake Forest said... Do we have to? Yeah. 
Do we have to? I don't want to. I think the obvious place to start is Wake Forest set a school program or program record with 10 sacks in this game. And now Old Dominion is leading the country in sacks given up with 18. Not a stat you want to be leading in. Oh, that's way too many. That's like six a game. Six. As I'm holding up four fingers. Six sacks. Yeah, our our offensive line in this game was absolutely dominated by Wake Forest. And not just in the second half. They were getting dominated in the first half as well. Uh, I know that Wake is a really smart team, and they do a good job of attacking weakness and bringing pressure in different places. And they also just have really good talent in their, their front six and front seven. But I've been watching ODU football since since game one, the, the fall after I graduated. I have never seen our offensive line get beaten that badly, that consistently over the course of an entire game. Like that is the worst offensive line performance I've ever seen from anyone in an Old Dominion uniform. And I've seen some rough teams. Yeah. 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 I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I mean, I'm like, we were in control of this game though. Let's, I mean, let's fast. We could fast forward all the way to the third quarter with like three minutes left. And although we're we're having difficulties and and everything that you're just talking about, we we're up 24 to 10 at that point, and unfortunately we miss a huge opportunity with Isaiah Page deep pass down the center of the field that would have put us up 31 to 10, and at that point I mean nothing is insurmountable but. I really think if we hit that pass and we go up 31 to 10, I think Wake rolls over. I think we break their spirit at that point. Maybe it gives our team an injection of adrenaline they need to be able to continue what's going on. But in my opinion, that's the play where everything crumbles on. Well, yeah, it was a huge – I don't know how many yards he had him beat by, but it looked like five or six yards from my perspective. So – that's a really big missed opportunity going more on the passing game. We took five sacks in the second half. We were two for eight for 12 yards in the second half, passing the ball sacks lost us 42 yards in the second half, 35 of which were in the fourth quarter. That is not what you need when it's grind time. I'm looking at the drive chart for ODU possessions in the second half. So this is result in the number of yards gained on said drive. Punt, negative four yards. Punt, negative 11 yards. Punt, we got 46 yards on that drive. Fumble, negative five yards. Punt, negative one yards. Turnover on downs at the end of the game, minus seven yards. We had one drive in the second half with positive yardage. That's unbelievable. Like, we should have fallen into a 10-yard drive or something, something to eat a little bit of clock. Because, I mean, the time of possession in that second half killed us. Minute 44, minute 5, minute 37, 221, minute 36, 42 seconds. That was our time of possession in the second half. Like, how how do you do that when you have a 17-point lead? It's It's mind-boggling. Like, I don't know how it's possible. Like, I, you couldn't do that in NCAA 14 on Xbox. Yeah, it, we couldn't run the ball. We couldn't pass the ball. Not much else less to do other than punt. Or turn it over, one of the two. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a bad combo when your offensive line is getting beaten like a drum. And the few times you do get dropbacks without possession, you are not making the pass overthrown it's outside it's out of bounds and we saw several passes that went went flying 10 15 yards from the receiver it was it was not a good day for the offensive line in the quarterback position it just it just wasn't wasn't good they, they made a couple hookups in the first half i thought like strategically in the first half we adjusted well to what wake was bringing at us i think with that it was the the driver we missed our first field goal and we'll, we'll talk about the field goals here shortly we hadn't done much on offense we kind of saw what they were doing. They're bringing in big run stoppers on first and second and subbing out to a dime package. It was kind of like quarters cover sixth, and they basically stand at the, the first down sticks. So it makes it almost impossible to pass. But they were getting pressure with four. So what we did that I thought was really smart was we rushed on second down and didn't get a lot. 
but we didn't sub. We hurried to the line of scrimmage. We threw a deep pass, ripped off a huge chunk play while trapping their run stoppers on the field and not letting them get those DBs. And we had guys downfield. I thought that was really, really smart. I think I tweeted about like that's that's what we need to continue to do to beat Wake. That was really the only time I saw us try to like strategically attack them with what we wanted to do rather than kind of having to just be in those second and longs, third and longs, and Wake was able to to just manhandle us up front. So I have a question about that. So obviously we had the tempo controlled. At one point, the, the refs did a reset on the ball to let subs come in. Do you guys remember that play? Yeah, there was one, but it was we had a receiver on our side of the field, on the ODU side, that went all the way down the field and then curled off and then someone subbed in for him. So you didn't see the sub, but they reset it, I think, because of that. Okay, because that one came really late and obviously seemed just kind of odd. But I had to ask if we actually were making a sub. Yeah, didn't we, I think we had about what, 10, 11 seconds left on the play clock when it happened, if I remember correctly. Because I was asking Gary the same thing. Yeah, and there was a similar play last night in the Tennessee game where they didn't actually make a sub, but the refs allowed Florida to sub players in when they were about to snap it and catch them off guard. That's a different story, was- a different game. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's relevant because what that was going to be a quick snap on a fourth and one to catch him napping to get the first down, and that may not have changed the outcome of the game, but it definitely had an impact on it. And I think that is a similar story to what we saw Saturday, where we should have won that game regardless of the officials. But sure as shit doesn't help when they're just blowing things that are right in front of their face. Yeah, there's two calls that I thought were pretty egregious that were missed. One was in the second quarter where Javon Harvey is clearly impeded on his way to the end zone. The ball was a little overthrown. Maybe he doesn't catch it if there's – but that ends up going. We go to third down, don't get the first down, and we end up kicking a field goal. If you get a first down there, who knows how that drive ends up. Maybe we score a touchdown. I don't know. But – it has an impact. And then fourth quarter, we chuck one down to Dom Dutton, and all they do is kind of grab him long before the ball gets there in a drive that ultimately ends up going four downs and a turnover. And that would have been a first down that maybe gives us some momentum. Maybe we say, all right, we're in this. We have a shot here. Yeah, I mean, a significant amount. Because that, that was I- – I don't remember how many yards. It was at least 20, probably 25 yards downfield because Gary and I sit in about the 30-yard line. And it was past us. I mean, I think that that's a big play because we're only down three points. So I know we haven't talked about field goal kicking yet, but if that puts you at, say, the 40-yard line, you know, we're only 20 yards, 25 yards away from having a shot at tying this thing up. I think it's a big play and a misplay. And I know Ricky can't talk about it and won't talk about it, but that was a terrible miss call. There were several, several early too. It just, it, it, it's weird because everybody in the building can see it and see it happens. And the ref is like, I don't know what, I don't know what they're looking at. Yeah, it's another ACC officiating crew. As we found out, we've had two of those this year. They haven't been good. They don't like calling pass interference. They finally did call one offensive holding. That's the first one we've seen this season. They don't like calling offensive holding or anything like that either. So I don't know if there's an edict coming down from the ACC. That they're just working out through the non-conference, but it's it's really weird how much contact you can get away with, you know, as an ACC team on defense. That chop block they called, I that should have been a hold first, like long before, it. and then the the chop block f- uh, flag came out way late. Like I don't know, it's just so weird what what we're seeing this year. Because, I mean, we all watch a lot of football. We know when a, th- a flag should be thrown on certain penalties for either team. Like, not just on Old Dominion, but – or for Old Dominion. But so many times I'm like, that should have been a hold on us. Or that should have been a pass interference on us. And nothing happens. It's just so strange. They definitely... well, the silver lining is that there wasn't uh, any targeting calls this week to slow down the game. That's that's true. No no targeting. Yeah, the refs missed 
several holds that would have gone against us. I will say that, especially as often as guys were coming through untouched until they basically got their jersey grabbed from the back or something. Yeah, so I, I don't know. That's going to be an interesting one to figure out. But, you know, I, I said that at the beginning, I think we're all in agreement. Like, the officiating didn't help us, but it's not the reason we lost this game. Like, that is that is on us. That's on our, our coaching staff. That's on our players. That is fully on Old Dominion for for losing this game. So we're not going to going to put that. I mean, that I think Coach Ronnie in the in the postgame press conference, I think, Mike, you can speak to it more from being in there, but basically said we didn't come out in the second half like we wanted to win. We were almost playing like we didn't want to lose. Yeah, that was a somber room to be in for the press conference. Yeah, we also, you talked about field goals. Ethan Sanchez missed an early short one from the right hash that now we know it could have been the game-tying field goal. But it's easy to say that in hindsight because who knows how that changes how Wake Forest plays. He made a 49-yarder, is that right? Which which was clutch. That was a huge kick. Not an easy one either. And then he missed the other one, right? Yeah, he missed from 34, made from 49, missed from 45 right before halftime. That was the last one. Would have been really nice to get three more points, be up 20 nothing going into halftime. And we could have been 23. That's... Yeah, I mean. Correct. And we had a we had a slant pass a couple drives before that that was thrown a little behind the receiver, got popped in the air, and got picked off. We, we had Wake on their heels that entire drive. Attack, attack, attack. We were going after him. We were moving fast. Like, that should have been a touchdown drive, but – Bad pass behind the receiver, gets batted up in the air. Wake picks it off, gets a nice return. They go down the field. But hey, defense bails us out. It's it was it, it had some brought back some bad memories of defense keeping in the game. And and I do, I know there's a lot, a lot of bad in that second half, a boatload of bad. But I have to give credit to the defense as much time as they spent on the field, especially in the second half, to continually give the offense opportunities to stay in the game. Uh, like they give up points in the second half, but a lot of times it was really bad field position, especially after the fumble that led to the touchdown where Wake took the lead. But they kept getting stops. Like they were still out there. They're still getting after it, getting stops, putting the ball back in the offensive hands to, to go down and score. But left the offense left them out to dry, especially in the second half. I mean, Lamarian James outscored our offense. Yeah. I mean, we had 14, 14 drives, I think. That's a lot of chances. The defense gave our, our offense of, you know, a lot of chances. I mean, obviously some of those are wake scoring touchdowns and us getting the ball back, but, you know, we had our opportunities in this game. I think the three of us believe it's, you know, going in. Anyone who listened to the podcast last week knows that both Mike and Gary both pick Wake to win. I can't remember exactly, 10 points or so-ish. You know, I had my no- normal homer call. But at the end, actually into the third quarter, the three of us would say, this now, this is a game that we should win. So, there's lots of positives to take out of this, but it's one of those things that, you know, go, oh, we weren't supposed to win this game, so no big deal. We should have won this game. It's a missed opportunity. Yeah, think about, we win this game, we're 2-1, and and we're basically a lock to go 3-1. And that puts us at one game away from going over the Vegas total wins on the season through four games. We'd be shocking the world with that. It sucks. This stinks. It's brutal. And you nailed it, Aaron. Before the game, I I did not expect us to win. I thought we had a chance to win the game. And I kind of laid out that pathway of what we need to do with the pressure on the quarterback, causing turnovers, you know, winning the time of possession battle, things like that. But one thing I, I also added in there was the offense needs to continue to show growth and not regress. And we did all those other things on defense, man. We were on that quarterback. I mean, he, dude was probably still in an ice bath uh, from that game from getting hit so much. Uh, we caused the turnovers. We even did better. We caused turnovers and turned them into points immediately. But the offense went from what we saw at Louisiana that was high flying, score those touchdowns to I, making the 2022 offense look like it was being led by Patrick Mahomes or something. It was, that was a massive step back for the offense. And it could just be because Wake is really smart. Like they are a well coached team and we were 100% out coached 
in that second half in every single aspect. But they, they, I can, could not drop a scenario where the offense regressed that much from game to game. It, it was un, unbelievable. But yeah, halftime, third quarter, we're talking, I'm talking about how I'm going to come on here and say, I'm so glad that I made the wrong pick and that Old Dominion won to sitting there in the stands while everyone's leaving, trying to figure out what the hell just happened in front of me. Yeah. I mean, going forward, we need to get more of what we saw in the first half from our defense. And we have got to connect on more of those opportunities. When our receivers, you know, beat the pants off of a defensive back, we have got to capitalize on more of those. When dudes are really wide open, we have to figure out a way to get the ball to them. I mean, it's understandable when there's tight coverage and trying to fit balls in small windows, but when those those opportunities, they don't come all the time. So you got to capitalize on We have to hit on more than 53% of our, our passes. We've got to do that. Maybe going into the conference, you know, those things will right themselves, and I hope, you know, that's the case. But hopefully there's a good week of practice this week. I feel sorry. Maybe this is a segue to move to the, the next guys. Kind of feel sorry for Texas A&M Commerce because I have a feeling that there's going to be a bunch of really angry people both in coaching uniforms and football uniforms next week. 11 of 26 passing the ball is just not going to get it done. Yeah. need to be a lot better yeah. than that. Overthrows and um, miscommunications in this offense are going to happen. Um, we saw some miscommunication in the first half where I know one specific play, Grant threw to the first down marker on a comeback route, and the receiver ran a go route. So there was no one home. It just went out of bounds. That stuff is going to happen. But 11 of 26 is not going to do it. we got to be a lot better than that. And I I will add this on the sacks. Coach Ronnie after the game said, it's not all on the O-line. It's not all on the quarterback. These are team statistics. The sack is a team sack. So the receivers need to be doing better, running their routes and getting open. Offensive line needs to play a lot better, and then Grant needs to get rid of the ball faster, make faster decisions. Those three things happen, you have fewer sacks. I I can promise you our future opponents are going to copy and paste Wake's defensive game plan against us, and we're going to need to be prepared for that and be ready. They made it really difficult to throw the ball down the field in third and long situations. I mean, you have six guys dropping back in coverage, one over the middle, basically just picket lining the first down marker, and they were getting pressure with their front four, which had to rush the play. That's a tough environment to try to throw the football in. And it's tough for the offensive line to, to give those those pressures up when we're, they're only rushing four. But that's a lot of the reason why you saw Grant having to hold the ball a little bit because there's nobody open. They collapsed the pocket. There was no room really for him to run. He did have a couple nice scrambles to extend some plays, but we need to be real smart over the next two weeks of practice to know that teams are going to copy that game plan that Wake had, because that's the only one that's like really, really shut us down. And and just be prepared for it. like Marshall is after commerce. They are probably the best defense we're going to face this year. And they are probably just scur- just going over every inch and every second of that Wake game film. So what, you got to be better on first and second down. Yes. Run we the ball. You have to run the ball better there and get in third and manageable situations where the defense doesn't know whether you're going to run or you're going to pass. We just got to do that better. And run the ball if you have the lead. That helps a lot too. Successfully. Because we had a lot of runs in this second half right up the gut that got one and zero yards. Yeah. As much as I think Roche had a fantastic game, he's probably not the guy you want taking the majority of the first and second down reps. Like you have a big bruiser named Keyshawn Wicks that can do some pretty good damage, even if it's two, three yards at a time. Uh, you know, Roche just, he's the speed guy. He's the outside guy. He's, he's the Darren Sproles, if you will. Um, you, he's not going to be really successful trying to run a gap five, six, seven times in a row. Yeah. I talked about how good he was on the outside. On the inside, he had eight carries, one, one for 13 yards, but in total, those eight carries went for 28 with one 13 yarder. So the rest were not very successful. Got to be better. And you mentioned it earlier, Callaway. I don't know what's going on with him. 
why he's not seeing the field, but the amount of talent everyone keeps telling us he has, give him a shot. Let's see what he got. And I feel like that is a good transition for Texas A&M Commerce. I don't know if we need to spend too much time on who they are and their talent level because just looking at the score. Because we don't, we don't really know anyways. We don't, but on top of that, their scores tell a lot of the story and so does their head coach. This is a team that is going to be overmatched on Saturday. So I want to change the discussion to being, what do you want to see from ODU? Because this is going to be almost like a preseason game where we can play a lot of different guys and try different things out to work through these issues and get better. So, Gary, what do you want to see in this game from our offense and defense? I will say first and foremost that the guys in the locker room better take this game seriously and they better come out and kick the absolute shit out of Texas A&M Commerce. They don't let them hang around. This thing needs to be 42 to three at halftime. This needs to be an ass beating because if it's not, I am really worried about the rest of the season. So I'm going to put that out there. We need to come out with the mindset that we need to just absolutely murder these fools on the field, like destroy them. We have them in size, speed, and strength at every single position on the field. We have more talent. We have better coaching. We have no reason to not absolutely blow their freaking doors off. So let me put that out there first. That needs to be the mindset. We need to be out for blood in that first half. Uh, Hopefully, all things go well, and we don't see the ones again after the first half. They need to take the break. They need the time off. They need to enjoy some time on the sideline. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what else we have in the quarterback room. I, I don't think that Grant Wilson should be replaced by any means. That's not what I'm saying. But we saw a lot of awesome things from Jack Shields in the spring game. I would love to see him get some reps and be able to run the offense normally. We have what appears to be an absolute stud of a freshman in Colton Joseph who, who is there. I would love to see him get maybe the fourth quarter be able to do some things and run run a modified offense defensively, just clear the bench. Like, this is a non-conference game, so we can dress as many guys as we want to. We don't have that. I think it's this cap of 70 for Sunbelt Conference games. Dress them all, play them all. I want to see those walk-ons that have been absolutely grinding in practice as like second string special teams guys get on the field and be able to make some plays. But the only way those guys are going to get that advantage is if we come out pissed off and executing well and just beating the brakes off these guys. Yeah. Man, you've laid it out pretty much what the, what I was thinking, Gary. I want to see when our receivers beat these defensive backs because there's no reason they shouldn't, like you said. We're faster. We're more athletic. These guys, we just have more talent. But we have to capitalize. We need to hit those passes. Not overthrowing them, hit those passes. Like you were talking, Mike, I'd love to see Callaway get in and, and get comfortable. So the first time that he you know shows up in the game, it's not against Marshall or when, when you really need him. You know, get him holding the ball. Because the last time we saw him hold the ball, he fumbled it. That's you know, that's really not what you wanna you know, have in your head the next time you have a meaningful snap. So I'd like to see him get that and then I want to see the defense get a lot of pressure. I want to see them hitting the quarterback, pressuring the quarterback, and getting it in their head that that's the norm. That's what we're going to do when we play Marshall. It's not something that just happens occasionally, but they get used to you know, being able to do that and continue to do that. So, Texas m Commerce... They are 0-2 on the season. They have played two. For FCS, they've played a tough schedule. They played a ranked UC Davis team and lost at home 48-10. to They played Sacramento State two weeks ago, who was ranked 9 or 8 according to their schedule. They lost 34-6. They took the week off. They have a bye week coming in Old Dominion. But if we're looking at statistics... They are giving up 6.6 yards per carry in these FCS games. They are running 3.9 yards per carry. So I expect our running game to have a big game. Passing the ball, 52% completion percentage for their offense, 107 yards per game. So they're not great at throwing the ball. 
And they're giving up 67.8% in the passing game on defense. We should be able to do whatever we want in this game based on what we're seeing. But I don't just want to see us run go routes and just throw bombs all day to our fast receivers because we know we got the speed. We need to work on the concepts and make sure we get these miscommunications cleaned up, the spacing, these routes. We need to get on the same page before we start conference play. And this is the right game to do that offensively. This is one that you can call the base game. You don't put anything creative on film, nothing new on film. You execute your base offense, you execute your base defense, and you just beat them one-on-one and just beat them all over the field. That's what needs to happen. I I will tell you from watching a lot of Sunbelt football this year and a lot of tape on Sunbelt teams, throughout the beginning of the season, Sunbelt teams kind of struggled with some FCS, especially like in week zero, week one, had some, some close calls. Thankfully, nothing, nothing too, too embarrassing, but you know, looking at the teams in the Sun Belt that played FCS schools this past weekend, like Arkansas State, who has been just a rough, rough season, they beat Stony Brook 31 to 7. Coastal Carolina had Duquesne come to town. They beat them 66 to 7. Texas State played Jackson State, which is a good FCS program. They put up 56 points in the first half and they got to play all their freshmen. They had a fantastic time. It was a good, good vibe on, on the sideline because they came out and scored. But we need to do that. Like that's what we need to do. Come out, do those things. Don't have to put anything crazy on on film that Marshall's going to get get any heads up on. Basically, get half of a bye week more or less for the ones. Make sure they're rested up because, especially on the defensive side, those dudes have taken taken a beating. We saw some of the injury bug pop up, some cramping catch up from just having these games in a row. Like those guys should be having some fun on the sideline in the second half, relaxing. It should be more of a social event in the stands. So you know, if you guys want to see ODU before they're gone for about the next three weeks, get in the stands, have some fun, enjoy this one. But there needs to be some serious focus coming out of the locker room to start this game because, man, if we are not dominating Texas A&M Commerce, we are going to struggle with every single team remaining on our our, our schedule this year. Yeah, I want us to be up so much in the second half that I can get one or two reps. No one's going to pay to see that, but... Hey. I might need a week of ice bath, but let's go, man. I'm ready. Hey, just grab a jersey, head on down there. I'm sure somebody will lend you a helmet just for the for the comedic aspect of it. I'll be we'll be cheering for you. I got a jersey right here, man. I'm ready to go. I got a Wilkins jersey too. That's a that's a good one to be running out there with. That's so, right, man. Gary, you mentioned the time possession, the defense, how much they've been playing. This defense has been playing. The second half, they were on the field for. 20 minutes of the second half out of the 30. That's a lot of ball. And if we were in Louisiana, we were scoring fast. We won that game, but the defense was on the field pretty much the whole game. I think we had the ball for 22 minutes in that game. So, yeah, we need to get up big in the first half so Jason Henderson and his boys can chill on the bench in the second half. Yeah, just looking at it with the updated stats from this weekend – we are 126 in the country in opponent time of possession. Our opponents have held the ball for 58.9% of all minutes played on the field. We're 126. Teams worse than us, Utah State, uh, Mississippi State, which is weird, Texas State, Eastern Michigan, Arkansas State, Kentucky, and Mississippi. So we're, we're not improving on that stat except by a couple spots because we were dead last in the country last year in, in that particular stat. Teams that are, are kind of leading in that category, you got the service academies, you got Army and Air Force because they just take the air out of the ball. But teams that are conference that may become a problem for us, Coastal Carolina is number eight in the country in that particular stat. Wake Forest is actually 16th. Louisiana is 17th. James Madison's 24th. So I would love to knock that percentage down considerably here against Commerce. So the the common denominator in all those, or most of those at least, is running the ball effectively. Most of those teams that you talked about successfully run the ball and grind those teams down. They defend well and they can run the ball. Yeah, there's there's kind of two factors in it, right? Like how much time is your offense taking and how quickly do you get your get off the field as a defense? We didn't do the defensive part very well the first two games. We didn't do the offensive part very well in the third game. I'm telling you, there's going to be one day, one game, where our offense 
is playing well and our defense is playing well. And I'm almost going to feel sorry for whoever we're playing that week because we are going to beat the absolute dog shit out of that team. And I don't care who it is. When that happens, we're going to beat the hell out of them. I've just been waiting many, many years for that to finally happen again. Well, I mean, so Virginia Tech, we ran the ball well, and we defended the run really well. Louisiana, we passed the ball really well, and we were pretty decent stopping the run. And this week, the defense came alive and was great in both areas. Let's put it all together. It's like you said, it's going to be beautiful when it finally happens. But this is the first time in years that I can remember where we've shown we can do all three of those in the same season. I can't remember the last time we had, we could run the ball, we could throw the ball, and we could defend. If we can do them all at once, it's going to be beautiful. But can you guys remember the last time we had all three? I don't know that we truly ever have. I probably got to go back to the Bahamas Bowl season. Yeah, that defense, defense, defense is legit. Yeah, offense was good. Like David Washington leading that offense, didn't turn the ball over, completed a high percentage of passes, ran the ball pretty well too. I mean, that was it's a long time ago now. Like that shirt doesn't fit me anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're. It does not. Yeah, mine yeah. doesn't either. But it, I got the ticket stub up there. I can remember it a little bit. Yeah, that that was a schmedium back in the day. Now it's just you know sad. I look like one of those Louisiana offensive linemen I made fun of last week. Look like an exploded roll of a can of cinnamon rolls. That's what it looks like when I put that shirt on now. So it'd be real nice to be able to get a new bowl shirt. Yeah. So that was 2016, right? Seven years ago. Yeah. December 23rd. That was a lot before I moved to Jacksonville. That was a lot. And I've been back from Jacksonville for three years. That was the last time we, we were we finished the season above 500. Seven years. Explains the crowd. Yeah, it does. So, all right. I don't know if we need to do predictions. I, we're going to win. By how much is going to be the question. <laughs> yeah. For those looking for gambling lines, it probably won't be available till later in the week. Usually those FBS, FCS matchups are late. But, I mean, any, somewhere around 42.5 to 49.5 is probably going to be the number somewhere in there. Yeah, if we lose this game, everyone on the boards who talks about renovations of the north end zone or an indoor facility can just stop those dreams for a considerable period of time because if we lose this, it's going to be bad, folks. I just don't see I, it I, 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 I don't want to entertain that possibility because – this this team just came up from Division Two last year to FCS. They don't even have an FCS roster yet. Man, like no, we, I can't even think about that. Just burn it down at that point. We're going to go back to playing flag football at Foreman Field and not on the field hockey turf. Yeah. So I think this is a good game to bring a friend and let him enjoy what we've done this off season because I think this is going to be a fun one for us fans. It is. Sit back and enjoy. Fill the stance. A stress-free game where we can just see the starters perform well and the backups come in and show what they got. And it's also our last game for three weeks, I think, right? When we have two, we have uh, Marshall, we have Southern Miss, and then we have a bye. Like it was a big enough gap that I'm going to be going to London before before we're back at home. So. Yeah, come enjoy this. It's three thirty kick. It's gonna be fun. It's homecoming. Should be a lot of people around. Come tailgate, enjoy it, and then you know, don't be missing it over the next three weeks or waiting for another home game. Absolutely. Let's get more folks in the stands. Let's have more people than we did for this game, which was an ACC ACC game. But you're right. It is. It's homecoming. Hall of Fame inductions for the school as well. There's lots of reasons. Kick-ass uniforms, you know, with the racetrack logo, right? So, all kinds of great reasons to come out. Make sure you're in your seats early for this one. We will have a flyover. Uh, Monarchist Harry McBrien, um, one of our favorite people in the world, has arranged flyovers for almost every game this season. He's still working on a couple, but for this game, he has arranged for it with the Aviation Museum in Virginia Beach to have vintage aircraft fly over the stadium. So please be there early, watch the aircraft, enjoy homecoming, 
and let's just kick some lion butt. I, I do want to give another shout out to Harry. The leapfrogs were awesome before the game, but it surprised me when the helicopter came back by and buzzed the tower right after they had landed. I was not expecting that. And that was, was pretty cool because they were, I don't think they were under that thousand foot minimum that they're supposed to have. They were right over top of the, the, the parking garage there. That's right. That's visions of Top Gun and requesting permission for the flyby and just doing it because they wanted to. Big Seahawks are pretty and they're loud too. All right, folks. So you heard it. Get to the stadium early. Enjoy the tailgate lot. Enjoy the win. And let's just enjoy being monarchs for one weekend. Uh, a lot of football to be played. And I don't know. Rip the Band-Aid off of last weekend. It's It's over. It's done with. But we showed signs of something that could be special if we continue to build. So come join us. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.